Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today we are joined by Dr. Rodney Harrell, who is Vice President of Family, Home, and Community for AARP. In that role, he is the enterprise lead on housing issues and leads AARP Public Policy Institute's team of issue experts on long-term services, family caregiving, and livable communities. We look forward to learning about AARP's livable communities work, particularly about the Livability Index tool and how our listeners can leverage this resource. Rodney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, we are so happy to have you, Rodney, and I will lead in with what I always lead in with. Before we dive in, can you share a bit more about yourself and your work with AARP? I'm uh, from Washington, D.C., in the D.C. area. I grew up really fascinated by all the issues and challenges we were having in this area uh, in the 80s and 90s and wanted to be in a place where I could figure out how to help improve communities. And so that eventually brought me through my education, through some other work to AARP and been here for years, uh, working largely in our public policy institute, kind of helping set up our policies and the like on improving communities and uh, really excited about some of the research, the reports, and especially the innovative tools and other kinds of innovation that we've been able to create over the years to really help communities prove how they serve people of every age. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I am a D.C. native as well, but right now live in Southern California. So a lot of the things I'll talk about or ask questions about will pertain to the state of California. But go D.C. Yay. <laughs> Come back and visit sometime. California is great. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, in clear terms, what is a livable community and why does AARP work to help make communities more livable? Yeah, a livable community, I like to think about it as a place that has options. You know, we talk about livable communities as the places that have the housing options that are affordable, housing uh, that can meet your needs, transportation options that let you get around, and the community services and amenities that allow you to thrive in that community. If you have all of those things, you can really be a part of the community that you'd like to. You don't have to compromise your quality of life. And really, I think our work and larger, I think there's a societal need to help make sure that communities serve all people, people of all ages, all incomes, all level of physical ability, all racial groups, and people in every part of a community. Everyone should have options on where to live and how to live their best lives. Okay. Well, that's a great definition of a livable community. And that leads me to something that I'm really excited to talk about today, which is the AARP Livability Index. This is a great free and publicly available tool that AARP offers. And I'd love it if, Rodney, you can just tell us a little bit more about what the AARP Livability Index is. Sure. Really excited about the index. You know, the team and I created this back in 2015 
originally after several years of research. And the idea was that at that time, it was very hard to do a couple of things. One was defining livability, what a livable community is. You asked me to define it in words, but what does that actually look like on the ground? Another issue was that even if you knew, there wasn't a good place to get all of these measures and statistics all in one place. And so eventually, through a lot of ideas and iteration, we came up with the idea for what became the world's first nationwide neighborhood-based livability index. And we put this together to help measure those communities, to provide a tool for people that want to improve their communities, government leaders and neighborhood leaders and the like, uh, but also just for individuals who wanted to know, is this place more livable than that place? What are the compromises I might make? What are the choices I might have? And can I get this information all in one place that otherwise would have me searching for hours over the internet and pouring through books to try to pull all of these pieces together to know how a community might work for me today and tomorrow. So really excited about uh, what we've been able to put together. As I mentioned, we created the first one in 2015. We had a major update in 2018 and just another major update and redesign last year really launched us into a kind of a new level. Uh, very proud of the Anthem Award we won for website design just a couple of months ago on the uh, index. Congratulations. Thank you. Really excited about that. Uh, because it's recognition of trying to not just create something that's useful, but also useful for real people, that it's it's designed now in a way that I think everybody can access it. And of course, you can go to arp.org slash livability index and find uh, the score for your neighborhood, your city, your town, or your county or state. Well, that's a, a wonderful tool. And I'm, I'm glad you've made it clear where we can find the tool as well as how accessible it is. You said that the AARP Livability Index scores neighborhoods and communities across the U.S. for the services and amenities that impact us the most. Can you expand a little more on what these services and amenities might be and what criteria falls under them? Sure. Well, the index first, the way we break it down is to try to make this manageable, right? That there's a lot of, I mentioned a lot of information that's out there. And we started with over 350 data sources that we were looking at when we sat down with our technical advisors and really said, okay, if we're going to make an index, what should be in it? And we started with those things, but we had to narrow down. And of course, we can't put all 350, 350 things in something that's usable. But also, some of those sources didn't have data for the whole country or weren't right for some other reason. We ended up with uh, a much smaller group that we ended up putting into 40 different metrics and we also track 21 public policies in the index. And those are spread across seven categories. Those include housing, transportation, neighborhood, environment, health, social connection, and uh, economic and other forms of opportunity. So we put these 40 metrics and 21 policies, they're split amongst each of those. And one way to think about the index is that it's a separate index for each of those. That in our housing category, we've got a range of metrics that look at things like housing options and housing affordability um, and uh, the like. And so each of those scores, each of those categories has its own score. Um, and we consider both the metrics. You can see what's going on on the ground in your community. But also, uh, has your community taken policy actions to help improve things over time? That's important to us as well. So in that way, the index looks at what you have, but also looks at what's in the future uh, for each community. So why would you say these elements that you chose, the 40 metrics, the 21 policy issues, why are these elements critical to ensuring that communities are meeting the needs of people of all ages? 
So when we sat down again with that technical advisory committee over those three years it took us to create the first index, we wanted to really be clear that we wanted to measure the things that impact people the most and recognizing the intersection between the issues that apply to us all. So we've got, I mentioned some of the housing issues, but one of the important things we wanted to do was recognize, for example, that housing cost is one thing, but is that home near things that you need? Is it near parks? Is it near libraries? Do you have affordable options for transportation to get around or are you forced to drive everywhere? If you do drive, is it safe to drive? Uh, is the air clean to breathe? Is the water clean? Do people vote here? Are people engaged in their community? You know, what kind of opportunities do folks have? And so those kinds of conversations and back and forth using the research and the literature and also honestly, concerning what data is actually available nationally, we kind of stirred it up and, and created you know, an index that captures fairly what's going on in each of those seven categories that I mentioned, but also recognizes that we can't measure everything in an index of this kind. It's really a starting point uh, to understanding your neighborhood or your community better. So did you do a survey to find out what these categories should be, or was it some research that you did on already existing literature? It was both. We released the results of a huge survey back, I think, in 2014, just before we launched the index. It was called Where We Live, I believe, but you can find it on our ARP Public Policy Institute website. We did a huge national survey and looked at what different people define as a livable community. What makes your community more livable for you? And what are the amenities that are most important to you? And one thing that we took from all that, by the way, that was a really crucial part of this index was the idea that our preferences vary. And this gets into part of my dissertation research as well. Uh, I did my PhD dissertation looking at suburbanization and how people move and, the, and what drives the different moves of different populations. And we did interviews as well in the survey research. It was clear that different types of people were driven by different issues. So for example, people who are non-drivers or people who are family caregivers cared much more about transportation options than the average person. We also found differences by groups, that the types of places that people wanted to hang out. African-Americans connected more church than other groups. White Americans at more kind of private establishments and diners and the like. And those are just some examples of the way that we as a country have our varying preferences. But the interesting thing to me is that those preferences also change over time. So you don't know that you're a non-driver today, but you, uh, you might be driving your car fine, but one day it might become harder for you to drive. Uh, you may not be able to afford to drive. Your eyesight may shift and you may not uh, be able to drive as much. And so all of a sudden your needs change. And so we took from that the idea that if we're going to do an index, it needs to reflect kind of all those preferences. We need to take into account uh, caregivers and non-drivers and people with disabilities and the entire population when we're trying to create an index for folks so that, again, you have to have, have that all those people need to have the options, the choices in their communities to really score highly on the index. And frankly, one last thing I'll mention to your uh, viewers and listeners is the idea that every community has trade-offs. So I'm mentioning a lot of things uh, and there's no perfect community. Every community has a challenge of some kind or more than one. And every community has some benefit, something that's good to build off of. And that's one of those things, as we've talked about the index across the country, that always comes back to us that in every community, there's things that can be worked on and there's successes that can be built on as well. 
And I love that it's across the country and for AARP, which is particularly 50 plus community, doing this for all age groups also helps us to shift those priorities. As you said, they change. We may be driving and loving driving at one point, but then as we age or as something occurs in our life, that may not be the priority. I was even thinking in the different pockets, you would even see some differences. New York City, for example, very transportation driven, very uh, transportation driven in terms of making sure you have your trains and your buses running. Here in Los Angeles, we're just getting into having metro, the, the, the trains and things like that. We really were very reliant on cars for the longest time. So to think about even the differences in, in communities and what we're used to and how those things change and shift over time as well. I can see that being so important in how this tool came to light. So I love, love, love that that it is available to us. Tell me how the AARP Livability Index can be used by an everyday person. Well, what do you do? How do you check in and how do you use it? What, what would you search for, for example? Sure. So I think there's a couple of different cases and probably more than a couple, but I'll just mention a, a few. And the idea is that, let's say you're a home buyer. And to your point, this should be applicable to home buyers of any age because we talk to people who've been in their homes much longer than they thought. You might plan to be in this home for five years, but you might end up being it in 10, 20 years or more. So when you're looking at that home, let's think about that location and how well it serves you. So I encourage anyone who's looking for a home to check out the livability index as part of your process and think about, okay, here's the other housing options in this neighborhood. Here's the transportation options. Here's the environmental quality. Here's all those other uh, factors that the index has. And to your point, it's very important to us to look neighborhood by neighborhood in the index because many people don't go outside of their familiar spaces. They might know where they work, they know where they live, they might know where their friends or family are, and not much else about even their own hometown, especially in a large city. Uh, you mentioned New York and Los Angeles and the like. And so the idea is that we can give you a window into those other neighborhoods and how they might work. Similarly, you might not be looking for yourself but you may be a caregiver or someone that's helping out someone on their decisions. And so the same kind of process can work where checking out a community might really give you insight. And the third type of person I'll mention is someone who's really involved in their community who wants to, maybe you're on a local board or maybe you're head of a group in your community that's really trying to improve things. Well, we're going to give you a whole bunch of stats and information that you can then take and run with. I know where I live now in Maryland, I actually took one of the first early prototypes of the index with me to a meeting and was talking about how poor the healthcare access was in my own neighborhood, because we now had that as one of the, one of the uh, metrics in our health category and was happy that not only that, but many of the other testimony given that eventually we had a, a new hospital built and really uh, addressed the fact that we had very low scores where I live on, on many of the healthcare indicators. And so, you know, I always encourage people to use it that way as well. I may not know what insight you're getting, or it may back up something that you already knew with some facts and figures that can help you work to improve your community. Oh, I love that. And that was going to be one of my next questions. This is really a great tool because I was thinking, well, I don't want to look this up and see that my community's not good in everything. I want to be the best in everything. So I love this because you're saying we can actually use this tool as a way to help improve our community. So the next time we get scored, maybe it'll be a little higher. 
one of the examples you gave was you going and getting the hospital, uh, that, that a hospital ended up being built based on the stats you had with healthcare. Uh, so are there just stats in here or is there something else that you can do to use the tool? So you've got the scores at the top and the scores kind of summarize things, either the overall score or those scores by category. And then within each of those categories, we don't just give you the scores. We show you the stats for all of these. And one of the things that's really important to me is the idea of transparency. I want to get that information out to everybody in a way that they can use it, whether it's as simple as just knowing our score is high or low or whether you actually want these metrics that are in place. But the other thing to answer your question that's crucially important is why we have these 21 policies in there. And that's so that you know, uh, well, we're having an issue here. What's an idea for something we can do uh, that could improve it? And you know, maybe what's the town next door have or across the country have that's doing well? So if you're having challenges today, again, having a policy in place that helps improve those things it can really be a boon to a community to improve things over time. Again, this is an index for not just today, but for the future. And I really think about it as a future tool to kind of help you understand the present and future, but also to help shape it. Oh, and I love what you just talked about in terms of what other communities might be doing where their index may be higher. Because many times when we read magazines and we look at things, it's like, where are the best places to live? And you're thinking, I need to move there <laughs> instead of what can I do to make my community that I'm comfortable in, that I love, what can I do to make my community one of the best places to live? And we could actually look at some of the other areas that scored high in different areas. And what I think I'm hearing you say is we can see what they've done or what they're doing where they have those high scores. Is that correct? That's right. And frankly, I've worked in local and state government and talked to a lot of mayors since we've launched the index. And I know firsthand that the competition between neighboring cities, neighboring counties is something that can sometimes be problematic, but sometimes it can be good. And the idea that those folks over there have passed an ordinance, an accessory dwelling ordinance, let's just to pick a policy, and they've really been looking at their housing options, that has and could inspire the community next door to try something similar. It's really good that we can have a way to help share that information with people in that community to, let, to know that, huh, What's happening over there? What's, what are they doing over there that, that's the secret to their success? Or just what are communities nationwide doing? Because we'll note that you don't have a policy in place, by the way. Here's the 21 policies. You have these, but not those. And so it's already a kind of a mini playbook of things that you can do to try to improve in each category. And of course, there's hundreds of policies out there and many more that ARP supports or that communities uh, could be looking at. But it's a start. And, and I think I like to give uh, a start and some hope to communities that face challenges. And there's one more thing I want to mention to you since we're talking about this and communities facing challenges is that what's inherent in this whole process, and I mentioned this earlier, is that there's no perfect communities. And so the idea that there are trade-offs everywhere, again, an expensive place that has great parks and libraries and grocery stores or a less expensive place that's further from those things. You know, those are trade-offs. And so one thing I wanted to make clear with the index is the idea of what are the trade-offs I'm making to be here and where the trade-offs you're making to be there and leave it up to you as to which set of trade-offs works best for you. And that's one of those things about getting back to the individual preferences of people. And we can even wait. The index even allows you to weight the different categories differently for yourself. If, if transportation is much more important to me because I don't like to drive, I can 
you know, crank up the value of the transportation category for myself. And that's just, again, uh, we want to have a tool that works for everybody, but also gives you what you need out of it. That's fantastic. That is really fantastic. Well, now I want to dive into some of the data, and I may be a little afraid to get into this data, but what does the livability index reveal about communities in California? So California is a very diverse state, as you know, and there's lots of communities in there. Uh, One thing, if you take a a look at California, you'll notice that housing costs can be a a little high across compared to other places in the country. You'll also notice that air quality is a little tough compared to some other areas. I know wildfires are a problem. And actually just here in D.C., we just were feeling the effects of the uh, uh, Canadian wildfires last week. And our air quality was in the 300s for a day, uh, which was pretty tough. And it made me think back to the index and look at the index's air quality measure and how many days you know my neighborhood or other neighborhoods had in the dangerous air quality levels. And you know I had to think about some of my California relatives and, and maybe even ask some of them for tips on how to deal with some of the air quality. I was going to say, welcome to our world. Welcome <laughs> to our world. <laughs> the smoke in your eyes uh, was not fun for sure. But at any rate, California is also a place that has lots of policies. And you know, one of the new things we added to the index the last time around was an accessory dwelling unit policy. I, I mentioned that earlier. And the idea that you could build a home or a second unit on an existing lot, which could be a home for a caregiver or a home for a renter or a home for yourself if your house doesn't have what you need in it. You know, that's a great way to think about more housing options. And so uh, we've added that in the index. And those and other policies that happen at the state level, we also like to look at and, and give points in the index for those as well. What are some of the top performing communities that are in California? So one thing we do on the index website is we actually list top score communities for different sizes. And we do that because it's very hard to compare a New York City to a small farm town fairly. And the index is best used as a neighborhood index to measure neighborhood by neighborhood. But we look at communities as well and do that top 10 list, as many others do, as you mentioned earlier. But our top 10 list doesn't necessarily say communities at the top are perfect. And the top communities in the country still only score in the 60s. And speaking of which, San Francisco is one of our top scoring big cities, and it's at 65 on the index, for example. San Jose is also in that category and has a 58, which is still in our top 10. And uh, Berkeley is in our midsize city category and gets a 63. And all of those communities, as you could hear me mention, 63 out of 100 does not sound really high. But first, the national average is 50. So keep that in mind that a community that really does great at every one of those things across those seven categories I mentioned would score 100. And obviously that community or that neighborhood doesn't exist. Uh, There's no perfect place. But these have kind of the highest and and best set of compromises, I'd say, uh, across the uh, communities of those sizes. And so those are those three communities that have made it into our top 10 lists of of various community sizes. This is interesting. I know that A lot of our listeners are surprised by this, especially given the housing affordability in some of the communities you mentioned. Can you help demystify why some of these communities ranked high and how the scoring actually works? We already know that average score is 50, but how does it work where these communities rank so high, especially with the housing being so high in those particular communities? Right. That's a great point. And it gets to the heart of uh, something I was saying earlier about the trade-offs of communities. So, for example, in San Francisco, you know, the average housing cost is more than twice as high as the, 
the uh, U.S. median. And so that certainly hurts the score. And, and that's something you'll see consistently across some of these other California communities as well, that that housing cost really hurts. On the flip side, there's a lot of options in San Francisco that are not single family homes. So you have a lot of different types of housing to choose from if you can afford it. And so again, those are trade-offs that gives San Francisco a housing score of 54. Uh, and the idea being that, you know, there's some pluses, some minuses, but that's where you are uh, kind of in the middle. One area where San Francisco scores really highly is neighborhood. And you can imagine if anyone else who's been to San Francisco, how many things are nearby. We did, as part of that survey, we looked at the things that people really enjoyed having in their neighborhoods, uh, things like grocery stores, parks, and libraries. And, you know, San Francisco scores very highly at having those things nearby. So that certainly helps the score. And the other thing that really helps the score is, as you mentioned, all the transportation options that are in some of these communities and just the ability to get around different ways that you're not just reliant on the car to get where you need to go and that you can be relatively safe while doing so. And finally, a lot of these communities score really high in the health category. And we look at things like the quality of health care, the access to health care, smoking rates, obesity rates, kind of uh, and patient satisfaction rates at, at hospitals amongst those. And the idea being that we looked at a range of things to cover uh, how healthy that community is, how healthy people feel, healthy activities they're having, how much access they have. And uh, a lot of California communities score highly on those things as well. So with any community, it's a story of those trade-offs. And so you can have the healthcare access and the access to some of those other amenities that people want, but it's really expensive. Uh, and those are just the facts. And uh, when you sort it all out, those trade-offs made end up with a higher score than most other communities in the country. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of the policies are in there as well. Absolutely. California has been very innovative on a lot of policy fronts. So if you have a policy in place, what the way it works is a point, a kind of a bonus point gets added to each of those categories that a policy is in place for. And California has been great, not only in many of these areas, but also in terms of the number of communities that have joined the network of age-friendly states and communities, uh, including California as a whole. And the idea that that's a great thing because it gets at crossing over the connection between these issues. There's a plan in place that's being implemented to help improve these things over time. Back to my point about the future and uh, that there's collaboration in a community to help improve it. So we've been seeing that in California as well. And certainly the communities that have joined that network or have similar efforts get points for that as well. That's fantastic. So where does the data come from for the livability index? And how often do you update the data? So it's from dozens of different sources. What we try to do is use publicly available data when we can. And so there's lots of government sources. The census provides a lot of our data and it's crucially important that that continues to be a source of good data that can be used for projects like ours and others. And in a couple of cases where public data isn't available, we go to a, a, a different kind of source, some of them uh, some private source or, or the like. And also for the policies, in that case, we really rely on a lot of the uh, groups, the issue groups that are working on some of the issues that we're thinking about or looking at. Things like the Complete Streets Coalition helps us look at complete streets policies, for example. And those are policies that help make sure that streets are designed uh, for people, whether they're driving or bicycling or walking or using public transportation. So we'll rely on groups like that to help us keep track of policies that may really matter for folks as well. Excellent. This is really great information. Now, remind us again, how can we access the Livability Index? Sure. Everyone can go to www.aarp.org 
slash livability index for your scores. And if you are a home buyer, you can actually ask your realtor about it. We have now a relationship with the National Association of Realtors that is part of their realtor property resource. They have access to the scores and of the index and can share those with people who are buying homes, again, helping them make those decisions. But again, everyone can get it at ARP.org slash livability index. Wonderful, wonderful. Rodney, thank you so much for coming on In Clear Terms today. Do you have any last comments before we wrap up? Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'll just wrap up with this, that again, no community is perfect and every place has its trade-offs. And so I encourage everyone to go look at the trade-offs of your community, your neighborhood, any other place where you're thinking about living and think about, does this community work for me? And if not, perhaps we can do things to improve this community or let me take a look at other communities where I might want to live. It's really a tool that is part of the process for anybody that's thinking about a location. It's not the be-all, end-all of all tools, but it's a great place to start, and we're happy to make this available for everybody that's out there. Well, Rodney, thank you again for joining us on In Clear Terms with AARP California. This was an incredibly informative conversation. Again, we have had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Rodney Harrell, AARP Vice President of Family, Home, and Community. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts who can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP is working to ensure the voice of those 50-plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening.